The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Man Power Trip of Wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, very special guest, former WWE superstar, former WWE 24-7 champion, King of uh, Trios Chikara tournament winner back in the day. Of course, he's Mr. Lince Dorado. Lince, LD, welcome to Two Man Power Trip. LD, the Lucha Lit is in the house. What's up, everybody? Welcome, and thank you for having me, good brother. So what's going on in your world? What have you been up to? Everything, man. You know, I'm back on the wrestling scene. I'm back in the uh, the pride land known as independent wrestling, which has been very interesting lately and good and bad. But, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm doing a lot of things. Honestly, I'm writing books. I have four books I'm currently writing, wow. um, two children's books and two wrestling um, inspired books. One being an auto and one being a kind of like a satire of what I thought wrestling is uh, from now my point of view. So it's going to be pretty funny when that comes out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also producing a, a comic book, a children's graphic novel. I'll be producing some um, some children's cartoon shows, some shows, some mini mini films that I'm working on for myself uh, creatively. And um I'm hoping to be opening up a school pretty soon, a Lucha Libre school. I got a lot of things. I have a lot of ambition, a very, a, a lot of ambition. I know my girl right now is like little stressed because I, I keep telling her every day, babe, I think I want to do this. I think I want to do that. But, you know, she knows that when I say something, I'm going to do it. So it's not a, just a matter of like, oh, here he goes, adding another thing to stress me out about. She knows I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm going to do it the best to my ability a hundred percent and it's going to be awesome no matter what i do and um i got a lot of things coming up and you guys will stay tuned and watch out man talk about ambition you've got all these books and comic books wow are you creatively like free you know it's almost like you you exploded now yeah well so like yeah i mean i'm creatively free i don't have to answer anybody else besides myself um you know i'm my own boss again i'm I own my own name, I'm my own brand. So everything is just me now, which is like a really good lift off of my shoulders. And um, yeah, I have, a, I have a couple partners that I'll be partnering with in order to do certain things. But a lot of this will be just me, um, driven by me, powered by me. And um, 
I'm looking forward to just finally just being creative and finally, um, you know, showing the world what I can do inside and outside the ring because I have so much to offer. I know I do. I know I have so much to offer. I know I'm not done yet. I know I feel good. I feel great. My body feels amazing. Like I just feel like this is the what I what I needed. You know, after six years in WWE, this is exactly what I needed. It was a fresh start um, as an artist, a, a blank slate, you know, blank canvas to just do whatever I want and create whatever I want without having to answer to anybody. I'm looking forward to it. Weird question, but when you own your name, how does WWE use it? They license it from you, technically, because you yeah. own the name, right? You had it. Yeah. I had it first. I was the original uh, and only Lince Dorado, yep. um, and they've been they they've been super super awesome with when it came to you know legal stuff when it came to the name and not having to change it. Um, super respectful uh, about everything. They never try to go behind my back and steal the name. Um, uh, they never made it difficult for me to uh, be Lince Dorado after WWE. So, yeah, it, it was pretty easy, smooth transition from, you know, it being my IP and then even WWE still having it as my IP. So we, we're going to we're right now in the process. I'm in the process with uh, some of my teammates, uh, not wrestling teammates, but like my my group of people who I put around me uh, to, you know, to get some other stuff going in the works uh, that we want trademark and want to protect uh, for our brand, for my brand. When you did get released, were you one of the guys that were like almost happy to get released? Because it seems like you had so much stuff on the burner, so much stuff on the fire. It's like, man, I, once I get out of here, I got, I got so much to do. Well, yeah, I think when I asked for my release, me and Graham at the league, when we asked for our release in, in September or October, I forget what it was. I think it was September. Um, you know, I went into it two things. I was like, man, I don't really have a plan, but I know I've been poor. I've been homeless. I've been broke. I'll be fine. I've always been fine. Like I'm, I, I look forward to all the challenges in my life. So the, this new adventure of leaving something that I was so comfortable in needed to be done for me personally, I needed to leave. And um, yeah, I, I just, I was looking forward to it. I, I was looking forward to a lot of things. I was looking forward to, again, being my own boss, being creative saying things how i wanted to say it being how i wanted to be dress how i wanted to dress represent lucha libre how i wanted to represent it not how uh you know and I, again i'm not saying that they did but like you know i want to put my flavor on it i don't want to ride off of somebody's idea like i want to fail on my own and you know that's why i had asked for my release i just felt like i was complacent i felt like i was just floating I wasn't progressing create creatively. I just uh, I just didn't like my position. I just I just needed a change. And as much as it's scary, and as much as I left, you know how much money on the table and how much time I had left on my contract, I just it wasn't worth it to me. I needed I needed that peace of mind of being free and being creatively free. You know. And how do they deal with that when you actually release? Because it seems like sometimes they don't, you know, not happy about it, I guess would be an easy way to just say. Sometimes they seem like they're okay with it. Sometimes they can be bitter about it. I think, uh, like I said, me and Graham at the league all had a really, really good relationship with a lot of the upper hand, either when it came to Vince, 
McMahon or if it came to John Laurinaitis, like we talk to them like if I was talking to you, you know, I don't believe in ass kissing. I don't believe in, you know, if we're two grown ass men talking, we're going to talk as grown men. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like I need to cower or, you know, uh, little myself in order to talk to you because you're in a higher position. Like my, my goal has always been to make it a WWE. And once I did it, nobody could take that away. You know, my problem was I didn't have a goal after I made it to WWE. And that's where I started to get complacent in, in myself. So when I had asked for our release, you know, yeah, we try to compromise, which I think is a very important word in pro wrestling that a lot of pro wrestlers need to start doing more and I think that'll help them become better businessmen is the word compromise. And we try to compromise, uh, WWE try to compromise, uh, me and Grand Metalik try to compromise. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if this is the best you got, this sucks. I'm sorry. Like, we're better than this. Like, we're, we, we're talented in the ring. We know we could be talented outside the ring. But if this is what you want us to be, like, you could find two other mask guys to do that and let us, you know, just have fun and let us do us. Um, you know, we had two years left on our contract and left a lot of money, more money than I'll probably ever see in my life. Uh, but again, my happiness and my sanity was, is worth, is priceless, you know? So, um, and again, it had nothing to do with one person or a group of people or one company. It just creatively, I'll, I just, it wasn't fulfilled. And, uh, I'm looking forward to finding what find what finally fulfills me, you know, in pro wrestling. When you say compromise, what do you mean by that? Like exactly some of the guys creatively, they just argue or, or they, they won't stick up for themselves. What do you mean by that? I think a little bit of both. I think most, most of the time you'll get that second part where they just, uh, uh, what, what did you say? You said they, they, they argue or they what? Or they'll basically just give in to whatever the, the, the exactly. guy wants. Yeah, exactly. They make it work. They they just and, and okay, there's nothing wrong with that, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna go into it like, okay, well, if this is the, what they got, I'm gonna make it a hundred percent awesome, great. But then don't complain afterwards. Like, you know what I'm saying? Compromise, come up with ideas that will help, you know, benefit both them and you. Because at the end of the day, I think with a lot of us uh, only think about ourselves and forget like it's either a company we're working for or the professional wrestling business itself. You know, we need to, you know, keep afloat. But that word is so important. Compromise, man. Like even my kids, when I have an argument with them, like, I never yell at my kids. I've never grabbed my kids. I'm never physical with them. We always have great conversations. And I'm saying, what's the compromise here? Like, you know, okay, you, you left your toys out. I have asked you not to do it. We need a compromise so it doesn't happen again. It's a, it's a great, powerful word. And it works in wrestling when it's like, okay, well, I don't like this line. Can I say it this way? And they say, maybe not. Well, what's the compromise there? There isn't. They're just trying to bully you. But it's never like that. Nobody ever tries to put their spin on it. you know. And then if they do, there's the ones that become successful. And if they don't, they're the ones that become complacent and, and sometimes bitter. But um, yeah, I, tried, I always try to compromise. And, and I know sometimes people could take it as being difficult but ultimately i i want it i want to represent whatever i'm doing the best to my ability i want it to represent the best product the best version of whatever we're doing rather than just you know going through the motions i can't go through the motions in life you know i need challenges i need i need options i need um you know i need things i need i need things that will make me want it you know rather than just like well i'm just showing up 
Right. And that could be a little boring, right? I mean, and not uh, knowing yeah. what you're doing. It, it, it's That's exciting, actually, not knowing what you're doing. But not doing anything or doing the same thing over and over again, that gets boring. Like, and, and it's not like we weren't sitting there doing nothing. You know, we came up with pitches. We had PowerPoints. We had videos that we presented. We had ideas. But, yeah, just just disconnect. There was a culture disconnect that they just didn't understand why we wanted to do it or they didn't understand why or how it could be successful among other reasons, you know, when you pitch, who do you pitch it to? Like Bruce and um, Christine Lebrano, Vince, like who's, who's the person you pitch to for sure. I mean, okay. So obviously the chain of command is your writer. I'll be very honest. I never, I had maybe two writers. I'll put three just in case, but three writers out of, total of 12 my whole six years 12 writers i counted i even wrote it in my book that i'm writing about three writers that were probably on point like they knew exactly what they wanted they were great writers they understood wrestling they understood entertainment they understood the culture um they understood their job um but other than that, the other ones I just didn't trust. I just didn't see their drive. I saw them uh, prioritize other things, especially when they're talking, you know, to your face, and you can see them thinking about other things, and you're just you're getting frustrated because they're distracted. But uh, honestly, whenever we had an issue or whenever we had an, an idea, um, we always always went right to the man, Vince McMahon or Bruce Pritchard or John Laurinaitis. Like I wasn't going to entertain the idea of talking to writers who may not be here in six months or, or, you know, three months, or they may move to NXT or they may move back to SmackDown or they may just go to the office. Like I'm not going to entertain those guys because I'm wasting my time there. And my time there is precious. I need to go right to the source. And that's what we always did whenever we had an issue or had an idea. And most of the time, honestly, most of the time it was my ass talking. You know, I was the one with not saying that we didn't have a backbone. Grandma Talik spoke decent enough English that it impressed Vince to, you know, to have Vince say, oh, you're learning English. And I made sure that, yeah, he's learning English. Look, he's just not a dude doing moves. And I'm just not a dude just, you know, part of this group. Like we could talk. We can actually do things. Um, and Yeah, we always had very I always stood on my own two feet. Talk to him just like I'm talking to you. I uh, never cowered. I didn't, don't believe in it. And uh, th- those are the people I always talk to. When you do the pitch and stuff, what what is like the reaction from them, though? Do they say, oh, we're going to take this and do something with it? Or they're combative? Like, how, what's their reaction? I think sometimes, n- never combative, for sure. I think sometimes it could come off as genuine where they look interested. Sometimes you could tell, like, they're just, like, nodding their head and just like getting me out of their face, like, you know, as fast as I can kind of thing. Um, One of the coolest things I will say that I've ever seen, and I've never seen this from a writer. I've only seen this from Vince McMahon. Um, I had a conversation, me, Kalisto, Samurai del Sol, and Mascara Dorada, you know, Grand Metalik, where we're having a conversation. I'm talking to Vince and he's kind of giving me the same thing where he's like nodding and like just agreeing just to kind of get through the conversation. But then all of a sudden, I think we had said something interesting to him. And uh, I remember reading Jericho's book 
And he was like, you know, never talk to Vince when he's eating. He's never going to be interested. And if you ever see him pick up a pen and a pad, you know, like he's probably really interested. So at this point, you know, we're talking and he's kind of giving us the like, he's going along with the flow. But then all of a sudden he picks up a pen and a pad. And I just remember, you know, going back in Jericho's book, like, oh, shit, like he's interested in what we're saying. Now we can't lose him. Like we, we got him here. Like now that was the moment when he picked up the pad and pen and started writing a notes from what we were talking about. That's when I knew like, okay, we're not just lucha guys to him. Like we we could be something special. Like we're interested in enough that number one, we're not like being cowards and not trying to pitch ideas, but we're also here talking to him with like our balls in our hand and saying, Hey man, like let us our ball, put the ball in our court. Let us do this and let us do that. Let us, you know, entertain, let us be superstars. Uh, but yeah, just priorities. We weren't a priority, I think. What was like? What was he writing down though? What was so so interesting? Was it the Lucha House Party thing? So, I, this particular moment, I know we had talked about. Um, so the original Lucha House Party concept was actually a little bit harder, a little bit darker. We were supposed to be in suits the whole time. Um, you know, we wanted to have this like Lucha Lounge esque kind of background where it was totally different. Like we didn't want to be in our gear. We didn't want to be in the flashy colors. Like we wanted to be look, we wanted to look like sophisticated men. You know, the only difference is like our faces have masks. And we kept telling them that like, you know, we kept telling them we do everything that every normal person does. We go grocery shopping, sneaker shopping. We go to the mall, everything we do, we just do it in our masks. We don't do it in our gear. That's silly. Then we only wrestle in our gear. You know, I don't think I'm really a cat, but, I, you know, I'm agile like a cat. That's the influences. And when we started explaining that to him, he kind of started to understand more the culture of Lucha Libre rather than like, oh, these are just guys in masks who do incredible things. And, you know, we had told him, hey, let us wear suits in our promos. Let us uh, let us cut promos like those uh, old Santo movies where they're almost like action, little action movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I had pitched for us to be like Charlie's angels where we all had a specific uh, personality and then, but like we were all, you know, entertaining and always do cool stuff. And then once we got to me and grandma to leak, I said, well, look, we have a cool dynamic here where we could be like Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan from rush hour where we could always have like incredible action stuff, but also put each other in, in cool dynamics. We had all these ideas and that for some reason we were just the Lucha guys. Like, Hey, every promo finished with Lucha Lucha. And I'd just be like, come on, man. Like, is this really what you got for us? Like, I, I don't know. So like he wrote it down, he was interested, but it just didn't translate to what you guys wanted. Basically. I think too, what a pro the problem was, pitching during the show day so like we did get a chance to like really sit down with him good 30 minutes but you know really that whole day he's thinking of that show whether it's raw or smackdown or that pay-per-view and it's just hard to really communicate what you really want and have it be consistently on his mind so you would have to like literally show up next week and, and pitch the same idea and hopefully he remembers or you know pitch it to a writer and hopefully he has the balls enough to go to him and be like, Hey, I have this idea. And like, there's just none of that. So it's like, you just have to be very consistent. Uh, you have to be a priority, you know, you just gotta be a priority. Is he a hard man to get a hold of? Because I've heard many stories from many different wrestlers saying that back in the day, it was easier to get one-on-one -on -one time with him. Now 
it's harder. Maybe you have to wait online or maybe you have to go through a process or go through somebody else. Like he's not as accessible as he was, you know, in the Hogan era or something like that. I think, I mean, obviously, yeah, I think he was more accessible back then. He's still accessible right now. Like you just got to know the times, right? On show days, it's a very limited time that you're going to be able to talk to him because it's he's got a schedule and you just got to respect that as a man like he's just got a schedule everybody has a schedule he has a sp- specific amount of time that he can chit chat with everybody uh if his schedule allows it but it, he is accessible the problem is some people just don't have the balls enough to go to his door and knock on the door they're scared for you know that first interaction where he just says hey or come in or whatever or maybe he says not right now okay cool like accept that and move on some people can't accept that as as adults which is like kind of baffling to me but we would always knock on the door you know we would always you know wait there even if he would be like hey come back in an hour and i'd be like no we're gonna wait out here for an hour i don't want anybody to come in front of me or i don't want you to like tell me uh oh i wasn't here in an hour no i'm gonna i'm gonna put myself here and i'm gonna wait here we all three of us waited every once in a while all three of us would wait some of us would take turns, one go to the bathroom and, you know, but we would always there. Anytime we wanted to talk to him, we did talk to him. I and mean, there's probably one or two times that we couldn't. And for whatever reason, you know, we're running out of time. It was, you know, the last minute or, uh, you know, he was, he was accessible. He's definitely is accessible more back then, but he's still accessible now. Is there a line of people waiting to talk to him? I've seen lines. I've seen uh, very long lines. I've seen very short lines. I've seen no lines. I've seen crazy things go in and out of his his, his locker room or his uh, his office. But um, it's nothing like new. Like if you want to go talk to your boss, you got to wait, right? Right. So yeah. Let him finish doing what he's got to do. He's running a, a multi million dollar company, multi billion dollar company. Like let him run his shit. Like that's his number one priority is his company. You're a part of the company. Yeah, he you're you're part of it and you're a priority, but the company as a whole is the priority. Can't even imagine his time management skills. Oh my god, how many people want to talk to him on a daily basis? And like Fox wants to talk to you, NBC wants to, you know what I mean? This guy like Saudi Arabia is on the on, you know what I mean? Yeah, the and, and you know it's awesome. crazy too because he's got people talking to him at the building. He's got people on his headset. He's got people on his phone. Like I mean, he's getting tugged. Like my dude is getting tugged in all different directions, um, and. Again, I think just people need to like just take a deep breath, look at the bigger picture and just say, okay, well, this dude is busy. Like be realistic with yourself. All right, this dude is busy. Let me get to him another time. Like, um, you know, I'm not going to get to him now, so I'll get to him another time or make it a point. You know, I'll talk to TR and be like, hey, please, next week when I come in, we need to go talk to that guy or I'm going to come in an hour earlier before call time. Can you make sure he's here or find me a time? You know, it's always an option. There's always an answer. There's always a compromise. So when you originally got to WB, obviously part of the Cruiserweight Classic, the, the big tournament, great uh, first outing for that. Well, sure. How did you like? How did you get in though? Like, how did they notice you? Did they notice you from the Indies? Because it's almost like okay, this guy is really talented. He's a great worker. But how do you how do you like get in the door and how do you get into the Cruiserweight class? For sure, I never did a tryout or anything. I think what actually helped me out was I was doing gear for a lot of the NXT guys, uh, Neville, aka Pac, Sammy Callahan, Solomon Crow, Bailey, uh, Charlotte, and um, at that time, one of my trainers too, Cesaro Claudio Castagnoli, he was uh, asked 
like, hey, we need uh, some some cruiserweight guys. Do you have any recommendations? And since he was, you know, one of my trainers and I lived in the state of Florida, it was kind of a no brainer. So if it wasn't for guys like Cesaro or Gabe Sapolsky, I wouldn't have been in the Cruiserweight Classic because those were two guys who actually uh, vouched for me, along with Rich Swan, uh, Sammy Callahan, Pac, uh, because, you know, I made their gear for them. So I kind of bypassed all that tryout. Thank God, um, you know, but yeah, that's how I ended up getting in. And I just took my opportunity and I ran with it. I didn't want to I didn't want it to. You know, I didn't know what they wanted. I didn't know what they were going to do. I just thought it was just a tournament. I didn't think they were signing anybody from it. I literally thought it was like content for the network. But I wanted to show up and I wanted to say, well, if you guys aren't going to sign me, somebody else is going to sign me after watching what I'm going to do. So that's why that's what my mentality is going in. So when you are in the tournament, obviously you beat Ali, you lose to Swan. I mean, two great matches. But do you think at this point, like, there's going to be contracts being signed at all, or do you have no idea? Oh, I was signed after the first round. Oh, you were? Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. So they, they see so, that match, that's great. Then it's like, like what happens, Johnny Ace or Triple H or somebody's like, you're signed, you're in, we love it. No, so, okay, so this is actually how it went down. There was about 36 of us, but 32 wrestlers, right? And... um we had saw probably about five or six guys actually signed before the uh, the Cruiserweight Classic. So we're like, whoa. We, we all thought it was interesting because we're like, okay, well, they're signing guys before the Classic. Well, maybe these are the guys that are going to be like pushed or whatever, you know, because they're signed guys. And then um, after the first round, we had this meeting at, afterwards. After all the rounds, we had a meeting with Triple H, William Regal all the producers and all that. And, you know, they're just going over the show and, and congratulating us on, you know, killing it and all of that. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, at the end of the meeting, Triple H and Regal go, well, we're also going to call some names down. And when you hear your name, just come down and we'll, we're just going to have a chat. But everybody knew, like, everybody knew, like, all right, if you're going to get called down, it's either because they're going to push you or they're going to sign you. So, um, you know, after the first night, I didn't hear my name. So I kind of was like, oh, well, that kind of sucked. Like I saw a couple guys, Jack Gallagher, Cedric was already signed. They had offer Coda and, and a bunch of other guys. And, um, you know, that was on my mind that whole, like it was like four or five weeks. I think it was four weeks until the next taping. And um, I was just like so bothered by it. I was like, damn, I thought me and Ali killed it. I thought, uh, you know, we had a good showing and um but they didn't offer us anything and i just remember my boy swan telling me like now guys they gotta sign you trust me they gotta sign you and i'm like nah man don't tell me that like come on like i love you brother but you lying you you talking shit right now stop lying to me and then i was making gear for bailey at my house my townhouse that i had where i raised my family five people in a townhouse two-bedroom house um and i had this little table that was about two feet by two feet that I would make gear on. And I sat on this like little tykes chair. Like that was my gear, my, my table that I would make my gear on. And um, I remember my phone vibrating while I was making gear and my phone never vibrates. It's always on silent, you know? And I was like, what is that noise? And I realized it was my phone. And then I saw a 203 number, which is, you know, Connecticut. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh man, like this is spam. Picked up the phone. I'm like, hello? He's like, hi, is this Lindsay? And I'm like, who's this? He's like, Darius or Darian or Darren. 
I forget what Regal's real name was. I go, who? And he's like, this is Steven Regal from WWE. I said, give me one second. <laughs> Mr. Regal, you got to apologize for my uh, my brother. I'm so sorry. Uh, how can I help you? <laughs> and he's like, hey, Lindsay, this is uh, Mr. Great. Regal. Yeah, I completely just told him it was my brother yeah. that was being yeah. rude. But I didn't think of it. I thought, you know, it could have been a lie, somebody else. or But it said 203 Connecticut. So I was like, well, maybe this is legit. Right, right. And he had asked me, like, hey, has anybody, you know, spoke to you about a contract um, outside of WWE? And I, at that time, I had spoke with AAA and uh, Lucha Underground. But, uh, you know, I was like, I, my interest was WWE, you know? Now, mind you, let me backtrack real quick before I, I finish that story. The first week of CWC was taped on a Thursday. I had wrestled for Impact Wrestling on Tuesday, that same week, the wow. same week prior. Like, so, yeah, same week. Tuesday, I wrestled Impact. Thursday, I wrestled WWE. That Tuesday, I wrestled Mandrews as Balam. You could go check it out on, on YouTube. And we had a, a banger match, awesome match. To the point where Al Snow and, and I forget the other person, it actually might have been uh, Bruce Pritchard at the time, uh, offered me a contract. And I had turned it down right on the spot because I said, um, you know, WWE is going to sign me. Like I had confidence in myself that WWE was going to sign me. I hadn't even wrestled for WWE yet, you know, but I was 100% convinced that they were going to sign me. Uh, this was prior before talking to anybody. Like I was like, no, no, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. But, you know, I'm going to get signed by WWE. And then, you know, after the first round, I didn't get my name called. And now we're up to the William Regal story, you know, and he's like, well, OK, well, take their offers in consideration, but also know that WWE wants to offer you a contract and we'll talk after the uh, the second round. And I said, thank you. Hung up the phone. And I was like, well, uh, no matter what. And I was already a teacher at this point, you know, making sh shit money. Uh, but I loved it. I loved teaching. It just wasn't, you know, financially the best job. I said, no matter what, as long as they pay me more than what I was making teaching, I'll take. I'm taking it. Like right. no if ands or buts. I'm gonna take it. Like it's my dream, and uh, is if it's a dollar more than my my teaching contract, I'm taking it. And um, yeah, so I wrestled Swan the next the next round. Awesome match. I love that dude. One of my like best friends in the world. And uh, you know that night, you know they called me July 27. I remember eleven eleven twenty six at night p.m. We got called down and I said, yep, give me the piece of paper. I'll sign that bitch right now. And um, that was it. That was history. Great recall. Great memory on the, the date and the time and everything. Wow. Oh, I'll, I'll never forget. You never forget certain things. And I have like a, I'm a math major. So like I have like numbers, everything is numbers. So I could remember a specific date, what I did that date, what I wore that date, everything. When they offer you that deal, obviously, it's probably a better deal than what you would have gotten from Impact and AAA, I'm guessing. Actually, I didn't even get to that point where we talked about oh, with AAA. Okay. And yeah, I just I just wasn't entertaining the idea. I, I knew what I wanted to manifest and uh, I just did it. Like I, my goal ever since day one, you know, kindergarten, first grade was to be a WWE wrestler, you know, or make it to WWE. Right. Um, everything else I just didn't want to entertain. Now I'll entertain because, you know, I, Mission accomplished. Now I got to go on to my next goal. When you do sign, do they give you any indication of like, hey, we're going to do this cruiserweight division on Raw? Or do they tell you about 205 Live? Is any of that like brought up or no? 
Not really. You know what's funny is that they kind of just said, hey, we, we're doing this thing. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And then like the next week we're watching Raw and I think Stephanie's saying like, yeah, the Cruiserweights are going to come on Raw. So that's when we found out. We found out when Stephanie said it on Raw. And I remember all the Cruiserweights texting each other. I was texting Arya Davari and, and Swan, Tony Nese. And, and I was like, did you guys hear that? Like, are we going to be on Raw? Like, what's going on? Like, oh, my God. And, of course, like, we ended up being on Raw as part of the division. And uh, it was it was awesome. Like, you, you couldn't take away those group of guys that were hungry and passion, passionate about pro wrestling uh, and tell us, like, you're, you're going to be on Raw without us, like, giving us, you know, are all like every time we went out there we gave our, our, our all uh we left it out there every time we wanted to have the best matches no matter what kind of situation we were put in and um you know it could have been so much more but yeah that's when we found out that we were going to be on raw or, or part of the 205 division um when when stephanie said it did you like how they branded it purple like even the ring rope sometimes they changed that did you like that or was it weird because like say wcw on nitro some you're watching the cruiserweights they would never say hey this is cruiserweights let's change the ring you know what i mean it's they're a part of the roster they're going to be wrestling in the same ring with the same ring ropes did you ever have a problem with the branding of it or do you think that was good to make you guys stand out hell no i thought it was cool as hell the right. purple ropes I- yeah it was different. I think if it wasn't a pain in the ass for them to change in between matches, like they would have kept it. But I, th- I liked it. It gave, it gave, it gave eyes, new eyes. Uh, you know, it presented us as superstars. Hey, here's a new presentation for new this new crop of wrestlers we have. If you're not going to put us with stars to create new stars, right? If you're not going to put us with AJ right away or, or Roman right away, then yeah, you got to present us as superstars if you want us to be legit or if you want this brand to survive. And by re- rebranding us that way and like giving us that presentation did m- make us seem so different. It wasn't just the wrestling and it wasn't the, the characters. It was like, you know, the overall like presentation. Very similar to like, okay, if you go to a basketball game and you see the Harlem Globetrotters, which we also pitched to be something similar, like, um, you know, they're, they're basketball, right? They're, everybody knows they're basketball, but they're unique. They're different. It's, they're cool to watch. Now, like, watch, the, watch these guys. These guys are also awesome. You know, that's how I saw it. And um, I think, yeah, I think it just got tiresome when it just got to the point where you had to change the ropes every other match or retape them. Like, you know, there was a, a hard group of people working very hard to change the ropes and the canvases uh, in between the cruiserweight matches and the regular roster matches. That's why eventually they just said, you know what, forget it. You guys are just wrestling in the same rings that we're, we're wrestling, which I was like, there's no difference. The only difference is the color. So yeah, let's do it. What was the Harlem Globetrotter fish? That sounds interesting. I like that. I wanted to be like the Harlem Globetrotters. I wanted to be cool. Every you, with WWE, Grand our, Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Grand Metalik and even Kalisto. Uh, but we we pushed really hard for the uh, Globetrotters um, idea. When you know when it was just us two, because we were the idea was again, you already have wrestlers, you already have other luchadors or Hispanic. But let us be different. Like we're the attraction. Like we're the act. You know. Like if you're not going to book us to be competitors and in, in your storyline book us as an act and that's what we had said the harlem globetrotters where you know let us do our our cool stuff and 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 entertain you know with uh promotions and stuff like that let us have like the cool outfits let us have our own little presentation uh that and but be serious about it rather than like 
here comes the pinata guys. Like, no, that's not what we wanted to do. We despise the pinatas. We hated the pianas, me and Grandma Talit. I can't speak for uh, Calisto because uh, I never really asked him, but I know me and him really, really despise the, the pinatas. The only thing that we really liked was the noisemakers. And um, I just, I liked them because they were loud and different. Like in WWE, there was nobody that had noisemakers. And I didn't care if they were annoying, like they were cool. Like they were just different. Anything different is cool. And if you think it's, if you think different is kind of like weird or, or, you know, that's just because you're scared of change. You're scared to challenge yourself. You know, I, I took it and we ran with it. So the Harlem Globetrotters one would have been dope. It would have been super dope. Uh, I, I, we had other pitches along with it, like uh, to expand on that. But uh, that was the overall idea was just let us be an act. And, uh, you know, come in, do our thing and get out and have a good lucha time. But, yeah, that was my compromise for them wanting us to be just the lucha guys. I said, well, if you're going to let us be, if you want us to be lucha guys, let us be cool lucha guys. Let us be uh, legit lucha guys. Let us be ass kickers. Like, we just don't want to be the guys who do flips, you know. Naturally, that's not me. Like, I the the presentation you've guys seen of Lince Dorado has always been a fab fabrication of what I wanted you to see from a luchador, you know, but you, you've never actually seen the person behind the mask, the real person that, and me personally, like I'm aggressive. I'm, I'm stoetic violence. Like I, I love jujitsu. I love wrestling. I love amateur wrestling. I love grappling. I love combat. Like I love that feeling, you know, I don't like, I do love high flying and just make me feel alive, but like, you know, I wanted to be legit and I wanted to be seen legit. And, um, that was my compromise. If y'all didn't want to see me or present me as being legit, then present me as like being a superstar. That's what the Globetrotters came in. Nice. I think the pinata thing was like, I don't know. It's, I wouldn't say racist or anything about like that, but it's almost like so stereotypical, right? When they do stuff like that with the pinata, it's like, ugh, I kind of been there, done that. Like it's, and it wasn't it wasn't WWE's fault, man. It wasn't WWE's fault. Oh, no, I'll say okay. that. Nope, it was not their fault. It was one of it was somebody in our group. I'm not gonna say no names. Uh, <laughs> it, but was their fault, yeah. it was uh it was a time where you know if Vince or somebody thought like it was a good idea, they could have run with it. And I remember us being in the prop truck and somebody picked it up and I said, Yo, we're about to go in this guy's room, right? Because we had a meeting. And I said, we're about to go in this guy's room. Please don't bring that in. And if you bring it in, don't, don't, don't mention it. Don't even bring attention to it. Let it just be a prop in the background, uh, like a please him for a little bit, right? Like entertain the idea. But like, if we bring attention to it, we're dead in the water. Like we're going to come out with it. It's going to be on our shirts, all this other bullshit. And then as soon as we got in, man, homie looked right at it. And it was like, I love it. And I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> I said, bro, please look, listen, let's, and then I was like, okay, then let us put weapons in it. Let us be like, let's, let's have a hardcore match or an extreme rules match, but like, let us put weapons in it. Like, so that way when it breaks, like weapons would pop out and then at least like people would be excited to see a pinata because you never know what will come out of it, but never, never wanted to do that. And then I had the idea of having the pinata have like a, a bazooka come out of its ass and showed out like candy or shirts or something. Yeah. I said, well, if we're going to have fun with it, let us have fun with it. Let, you know, let me get a pinata that shoots shit out of his ass or something. And uh, they're just like, nah, just throw the candy out um, until we eventually give it to somebody else, which they ended up doing. That's why we stopped throwing out candy. They gave it to somebody else. Um, and I was just like, man, this sucks. 
<laughs> yeah. Fuck these pinatas. I'm over it. Who is the one that pitches you guys being together as the Lucha House Party when they put Kalisto and Grand Metalik with you and you guys do that gimmick? Me. Okay, so Originally right. me. So I was, yeah, I was home for about three or four months uh, dealing with some other stuff. And when I got back, Kalisto was on 205. He had just lost the title and wasn't really doing anything. And Grand Metalik was in the same spot. Um, he was in when I had left for a second when I got sent home for a little bit. And when I got back, I, I was getting the you know idea. I didn't know when I was coming back, but I had this idea. It was like, well, okay. I knew Kalisto for a while before WWE, and I know he can, you know, he can work. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, people don't see his confidence in him talking, but with me, between me and him, we could kill the talking, and between all three of us, we can kill the wrestling. Uh, the original idea, like I said, was for us to be a harder version of of Lucha House Party. It was actually be, supposed to be LHP Lucha House Party. We just wanted to be LHP, like stoetic stoetic luchadors and suits you know who were like sophisticated who were gangsters who were like the mob but like taken serious and uh i i don't know what happened just all of a sudden they took every idea that we had and just either just said forget it no or just didn't entertain it or like the pinata was just so overpowering that they just turned us into that and it yeah just kind of was like you know, a little bit of me kind of got mad at myself because I fell in, I fell into it. Like, all right, well, if this is what you're gonna do, let me go ahead and do it rather than like fighting back. Like, no, I didn't want to do that. But then once I started to, once we started to, uh, it it started to get better. But again, creatively, it just wasn't enough for me. When they do the lucha, lucha, and all that stuff, are you into it? Or you're you're kind of like, eh, it's too generic, almost like that. They want us to do that stuff with the music and everything. Oh, no. I mean, every promo, they wanted us to end with Lucha Lucha. And I would always tell Metalik, I'd be like, I'd tell him right before we do it, I'd be like, don't do Lucha Lucha. And be like, okay. I'm like He would always be on board with me. He just wasn't going to just go along with the plan. Me and him saw very eye to eye on a lot of things. And, um, you know, we, we, the Lucha Lucha chant, I heard the first time through Samurai Del Sol, Kalisto, before WWE. And we would always be on shows and that would be his chant. And when we got to WWE and they gave us that uh, that music, you know, I kind of felt like we didn't have an identity um, because of that. And when Kalisto ended up leaving and we were begging for some music, you know, we had pitched a really cool entrance idea. Uh, you know, we wanted to be like UFOs, like, you know, because everything that we did, I remember Vince saying, we're out of this world. And I said, well, the only thing out of this world are aliens. And, you know, they're cool. Like, let us have an alien S entrance where you yeah. zap us in like Power Rangers. And then now it's Lucha time kind of thing. And uh, the music they gave us was so whack, bro. Just so bad. Like, I gave them everything from beats to, to graphics, everything. And it's just like they came back with this, like, cookie cutter entrance. And I was just like, ah. I was like, man, I'm just not feeling this right now. So both entrances, all three entrances, even my CWC entrance, I didn't like. I just, I, I said, hey, I came out to this Megadeth Duke Nukem theme, and all they heard was Megadeth, and just gave me this like crazy guitar riff, which was awesome, but just didn't fit me. Like it just don't fit me. And uh, they just, again, that's a, I, that's where people, not being racist or anything, but they're just like, you're a luchador, so you're gonna have some lucha music. I'm like, man, I don't, right now my, my music isn't Lucha at all. Like I come out to uh, Necro's uh, head split 
I can't say the first word, but yeah, like it's hard, you know, people, I remember seeing a tweet, somebody saying like, whoa, this is so different. I didn't even know like this guy would even listen to this music. Well, some of y'all don't even know I speak English. I speak perfect English, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, just got to ask, just got to ask. I love that Duke Nukem album, but that song is great because there's no oh, yeah. lyrics. It's, there's just no, the, yeah, it's the beat. Yeah, it's just the awesome song. Oh, occasionally you get Duke Nukem saying like, "Come get some." Let's rock. But yeah, yeah, let's yeah. rock, dude. Dude, I love Duke Nukem yeah. though. Duke Nukem yeah. was the best game. Like, I loved all those games. I'm surprised they haven't turned that into like some big budget movie, just because it's such a cool thing they could do with <sighs> aliens and I don't know, man. They they spent so much money on that last Duke Nukem game that spent like 13, 15 years to make. Like, I don't know if they're interested in entertaining that idea anymore. That's they should though. Gimmick. It's such a great Hell character. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I think I got their OG games back here in my. Uh, oh yeah. My case I have back them. here. Yeah, I still have them somewhere. I love that. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and that that album is awesome. Just so much good stuff on it. Yeah, and that's where I found that song, like because of that album. Uh, Sabrentico showed me that album. Uh, we we like mixing some music on the road, and um, I remember like just flipping through a CD one day, and and I just remember he hearing it, and I was like, man, this is kind of a dope. Uh, this would be a dope entrance theme, and I ended up using it on the indies for my last like three years before I, I left the WWE. Yeah, damn, that's pretty cool. But of course, they give you some generic music, and it's like, ah. Oh. I just remember in CWC, I said, please don't give me no generic Lucha music. And then the first thing they gave me is like a rip off of Super Crazies. And I'm like, I just, all right, whatever. <laughs> they don't listen, damn. Nah. When you're there, though, are you thinking like the 205 thing? Is that like a good idea to you? Do you like it? Because you guys are getting your own show. You're getting showcased. Then you have a couple title matches with Neville, which were great. It's like, are you feeling good at that point, though, about 205 and about the Cruiserweights? I think the division, yeah. I think uh, overall, I see, uh, you know, there was a lot of interest from not only management, but man, we would have sellout curtains, like for, for the guys who stayed late um, to watch the show or who had the dark match, and they would always like love our matches. So uh, there was a lot of interest, and I knew that we were going to stick around for a little bit because everybody was either getting help from the cruiserweights, like the cruiserweights were training some of the girls, or, you know, they showing some moves to like some of the other guys when it came to like pay-per-view matches or whatever. Like I knew we were going to be around for a while. Um, I think when we moved to NXT uh, like that phase, that's when I started to be like, okay, well, I feel like this is about to fizzle out as the roster is not the same. The passion and drives not the same and the atmosphere is not the same. It just looks like everything else that WWE, you know, is putting out. So uh, that's when I started to realize like, oh man, this is, this is about to end. And I think one of my last runs in NXT, when I was doing a uh, SmackDown or raw, uh, when me and Grand Metalik went back, you know, we saw that and we, we couldn't recognize anybody on the roster. Like we knew everybody, but we couldn't recognize anybody besides Aria and Tony who were the OGs of the, the two five division. But yeah, we saw that as a good idea. I mean, we saw that as a good, you know, showcase for all of us. Um, again, every match was a banger. There was no, everybody left it out in the ring and everybody knew the work, uh, the work ethic that went into being a 205er and they appreciate it. The fans appreciated it. More people should have appreciated it, but you know, the most important people that were important to us did. So that's all that matters. 
So you can almost sense it like, okay, the level of importance, the, the ring ropes, everything, and then slowly everything gets taken away, trickled down, then it goes to NXT. You can almost sense it. It's like, yeah, they're not really pushing it. Yeah, it's not, the toy to. it's not the new toy anymore. You know, yeah. it's not the new idea. It's not, um, I think also too, with a lot of us being not uh, a made WWE idea, it kind of is like, well, let them just do their thing and then it will fizzle this idea out once, you know, we get content or whatever. I don't know what the mindset is, but that's just how I saw it. And, uh, but you could, as a performer, uh, as an original, like you could definitely tell like the priority was no longer there, uh, probably after the move to NXT. Did you guys see when like they put the Lucha House Party together? Is there any sort of like, hey, we're going to get a push or the, any sort of talk or they don't really talk in those terms? I think the only idea that we considered to be a push was when we had got asked to go to Raw. I thought it was really random that, um, you know, we had just wrestled on 205. I believe it was on a Tuesday after SmackDown. And then, um, you know, instead of leaving on Monday, we're leaving on a Sunday and we're just not understanding why, uh, you know, we all start to text each other like, oh, what are they telling you? Like, you know, then you start to text all the other wrestlers like, is anybody else going to Raw? Is it just us? And then they start to ask and question like, so it started, we kind of like made it worse than probably we should have. But that, the only only indication of what we considered to be a push was, yeah, our, our introduction to Raw because we were with Revival and they had showcased us as, you know, Lucha House Party, the Lucha House rules. So we had something very unique to us, you know, and as much as people were like hating on the idea, like, oh, this is just a handicap match. We loved wrestling revival. We always had like good reporter revival and had awesome banger matches, whether it was on live events or the, the shows. So even though everybody saw it as a gimmick match, we just still saw it as like, hey, we're working and we're going to, you know, kill it with each other with whatever time they want. And like, no matter what shitty idea they have, like, we're going to make it awesome for us. And that's why I loved the, the, working with those guys like we always had the same mentality of like we'll make it work and we'll have people talk about us afterwards but uh after that man it was just kind of like we were just the spot guys we were just put in and and okay well we need guys we need we got a fatal six-way tag match but we only got five teams all right put in the luchas all right we got money in the bank uh, we got Elimination Chamber let put in the luchas like you know it just was put in the luchas like insert luchas here and um, yeah, that that got boring very fast. Deserve better than that, right? You would think. What's that? You probably would thought maybe we deserve better than that, just like an insert here kind of guy. I think we were pitching better ideas than that. May I don't want to use those say I don't want to say that we deserve better uh, because I'll let my actions speak louder than my words, right? But I'd know what we were pitching and what we were trying to do and what we were doing. Uh, we were better than just the insert guys and everybody would always say it and they would always say it, don't worry about what people say online but yo they're the ones that that support us you know and i would always see things like man with lucha give luchas a chance or uh man the, here we go that you know the luchas are gonna lose but they're gonna put something awesome on like it it just was boring it was just was boring to the point where my even my own kids were like i don't watch your matches anymore i know you're gonna lose like that's <laughs> yeah, fucking that's, that's silly like i don't want to hear that from my kids like so once I started hearing that, that's when I was like, I'm out. Like, this this sucks. 
Yeah, that's crazy because it's like even everybody knows, okay, they're going to put on a great show, but you know they're going to lose and they're not going to advance anywhere storyline-wise. And we would always say that to the to the producers. I'm like, you guys are like, why do you put us in these spots? Like, you don't help. Like, none of these matches help us. These all are terrible. You're all You're putting more bad heat on the other guys that are beating us because they know why they're beating us, you know? Like, that's that's what made it harder for us to really get into our matches with us not having a story or us not um like being invested like just having investment like we just the insert the luchas here and yeah like we said we were just tired of it i remember some random feud it was like Lars sullivan was feuding with you guys it was kind of you know just a thrown together kind of weird little feud that they had going there for you guys yeah we didn't want to do that either and it had nothing to do with lars uh but we had just did a European tour where, you know, we had the one of the biggest pops all tour. Like, the they, Europe loved the Luchas. Like, we even made videos of the Luchas go to Europe kind of thing. Like, we were just having a great time with it. And then, um, you know, we all got a text message saying, hey, you're going to go to Money in the Bank. Uh, you have a match. And I just had this really bad feeling. Like, really bad feeling. I was like, I don't like this idea. One, I'm tired. And two, like, I just don't like this idea. They hadn't told us what the idea was. But I said, just this does this, this, this not feel right. Like, something is random. And it's going to make us look bad. And all of a sudden, all those things about Lars came out, you know, from his past. Uh, about him saying some racist things or whatever. And, you know, that was kind of more fuel for us to, like, not want to do what they wanted us to do once they told us, okay, yeah, you're going to be in a three-way or a, a, a handicap match with Lars and he's going to kill you guys. And I'm like, I was like, man, let that, no offense to Lars. I love that dude. He's the nicest dude in the world. One of the nicest dude. But I was like, you think that motherfucker could take all three of us for real? That was always my mindset. I was like, you really think that all three, like could take all three of us? No. Like, this is silly. Like, why are we doing this? Right. And then I was you know, I went back and said, well, you also want me to put my life on the line to somebody who doesn't value people of my color. Like, why Why would I do that? And um, again, there was a compromise made. And um, WWE probably got the better end of the deal. But at the end of the day, I think I won, which to me is ultimately the best. So, um, yeah, we lasted longer than Lars and... Yeah, you know, at the end, of, I think we were one of his last matches. I think he blew his knee out, unfortunately. Um, but it was just, yeah, I that was like one of the other frustrating things. Like, this shit just didn't make sense. But again, I don't know. They just they see small dudes in mass, and they're just like, all right, that's the luchas. And I believe then they split you up from Kalisto because so then it was just you and Metalik as a tag team. Was there any reason to split the group up? So I believe because uh, one of the li last live events, Kaliso got hurt. And uh, when he got back, I think he put it in his head that he wanted to be a single star, uh, which, hey, more power to you, brother. But uh, we had this idea, me and him, that we were going to feud eventually with like with each other, um, you know, given the circumstances or what, what, what was going on. That was going to be our trump card was like we were going to feud with each other and like, you know, pitch master's mass and maybe me lose my mass and go darker and like be me, finally be me. But uh, when he got hurt and pitched that idea to himself, um, that kind of just went out the window. And um, I think WWE was just like, all right, well, why do we need two Lucha groups? We just need this one group. And I think that's why they ended up leaving him 
let go. Um, but yeah, that was it. When they do that, and it's just you and Matalik, then they not really are using you guys as much either, right? I mean, they start using you less, it seemed like. Well, no, they started using us a little bit more, uh, just a little bit to the point where, like, yeah, we were showing up and having promos with Riddle or having uh, this and that with uh, the Hurt Business. Like, we were actually featured to be in the tag team division. But, again, we were so already pigeonholed and tarnished that everybody knew that when we go out, it was either going to be a very upset, right? You could tell the style match that we were going to have or, um, you know, the other people are going to win. So it kind of made our matches uninterested. Uh, you know, it, it just, they were, and they ended up using us a little bit more, especially during pandemic. But um, again, just not in the capacity that we wanted to do. We still felt like we were being inserted um, and killing every time that we went out, but it just, yeah, just never, it, it always felt like to shut us up. Like, all right, here's, here's uh, the Lucha uh, check mark for the day. Boom. Promo or match or main event or something. So, yeah, but they ended up using us. When they sent you guys down to NXT, obviously you guys are part of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Was that a positive? Like, did you like that? Because, you know, you wrestle Imperium, you guys get the win, lose to Legato Del Fantasma. Was that good or bad to be down in NXT, a part of the Dusty Well, we Classic? had asked for it. Oh, you guys asked? Okay, nice. Yeah, so okay. once once we split, actually before too, but uh, more, more once we split, we had emailed Triple H and Regal. And we say, hey, if there's any opportunities to come down to NXT and, and tear shit up, let us do it. And for a while, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, uh, Triple H saw us doing nothing. And he had asked Vince, like, hey, can I borrow these guys for a couple weeks in NXT and do some stuff? Um, and that's where, you know, Phantasma and, and, and Dorada wrestled in the in the singles. And then we, you know, we killed it and everybody loved it. Everybody ha loves having the Luchas in NXT. So then, you know, it just made sense for us to come back to, um, you know, the Dusty Classic where we had a great showing. You know, we felt like we were the most polished tag team uh, in NXT because we had that TV time, the, the main roster time. We got the blend of indie wrestling mixed with TV wrestling or WWE wrestling. Like We got it. And, um, you know, it was it was it was a good thing because it was our idea. It was a different style, uh, different set of eyes, different rules. Right. So it kind of just felt more a little bit more free. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a WWE ring, WWE product. So and then obviously after that, I guess you asked for the release, right? That's kind of how it went, basically. Yeah, I think shortly after that, um, we were in Boston, I believe. I, yeah, I was in Boston. And um Again, it was just it. We went into Vince's office and management's office about a month before, and you know we just laid it out on the line. Like this is what we want. You know this is what we want to do. You know we re-signed this contract. Like we don't want to sit here and get paid. Like that's not gratifying for me. Um, you know, and we were promised this and that. And you know, as the weeks went on, we kind of just saw it going to other people, and we the writing was on the wall and. Instead of waiting the two years, we just said, hey, if this is the best you got, like, thank you for the opportunities. But, like, we're, we just – we need to part ways. So, obviously, it, it seems like creatively and maybe for your happiness, it was a best thing for you to be released. Because it seems like, man, you got so much going on, so much, uh, you know, food in the fryer, whatever you want to say. I mean, you got so much going – it seemed like a good thing for you. 
It's a great thing. I wish they would have capitalized on it with me. I wish they would have invested the the time and energy that I have and wanted to in them that they would have in my ideas and my projects. Because I think in the long run that like they didn't create Ray Mysterio. They could have created something awesome with all three of us, with Grandma Talik and myself and Kalisto. But they just, again, it was just a disconnect. And But my sanity, my my happiness... My, I, I just needed that more than anything else. Like I never, I told myself, I said, once you start thinking of money and start thinking of it as a job, you need to leave because that's when you're going to lose your passion. And I'm so very passionate about wrestling. I'm so passionate about uh, Lucha Libre. I'm so passionate about my brand. I'm so passionate about performing. And I just, again, creatively, I just wasn't getting what I wanted. Are you still making gear? Are you still doing that? For myself only, I, oh, I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll randomly do it for uh, some of my friends who like are in a pinch, or I'll do like a scholarship. Uh, I do a scholarship for each school where they'll they'll pick a student who's you know brand new, uh, like no no matches underneath their belt or f- struggling financially, and I'll make their gear for them uh, on the side. But yeah, I don't advertise it. I don't want I don't want to make anybody else's gear. Um, it's just too stressful. I like making my own stuff. I like my own stuff being, uh, you know, what I wanted to do It's it looks professionally made. I take a lot of time into my outfits and now I'm making more clothes. Like I'm doing jackets and robes. I'm doing, you know, things that aren't wrestling gear that I, that I never thought I wanted to do, but now I'm doing it. You know, like this year I want to make a suit, like a real, I want to make a really good suit. And, um, I'm really close to it. I already got my patterns that I created myself. I already got my my fabric. It's just a matter of just sitting down and do it. And I'll probably end up doing it live on my Twitch or something. But yeah, I just wanted being creatively free is like now I'm more stressed about having enough time to do it in my life. Like I want to do everything still, you know, uh, and I still want to wrestle and I still want to raise my family while doing all these things. But Having no one say you can't do that or say, no, I won't help you with that helps me out now, like mentally, knowing that it's going to get done. Not, man, I want to get this done kind of thing. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome that you, that you could even have the ability to make your own gear. I mean, that's quite a skill. Oh, yeah. I mean, started 2007, like year two. I just was tired of, you know, being 16, 17 years old, getting charged 400 bucks for, <laughs> you know, a mask some tights and I said, yeah, I can make this for about a hundred bucks. And that's what I did. I bought my sewing machine for 60 and I bought two yards of uh, fabric or I'm sorry, four yards of fabric for like 40 bucks and uh, made my first set of gear. Wasn't great, but you know, I stuck with it. I could have failed right there and and quit right there, but you know, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. So I over probably over 500 pieces of gear between masks, tights, gauntlets, jackets, robes, capes, um, you know, that I've made in the past 15, 17 years. So a lot of it's hard to get rid of. Like somebody had offered me my, my Power Ranger outfits sitting right next to me. Somebody had offered me 10,000 10, for it. And I said, no, like it's priceless to me. You know, like at the end of the day, a lot of these items, you're paying more for the, the time, not the, not the item itself. And my time right. is priceless. You know, my time is very valuable to me. And, um, you know, even when we messaged and talked about, oh, I'm only available 11 to 4. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, every day. And I've turned down a, 
a, a bunch of interviews because they don't honor that. But, you know, my time is valuable and the rest of my time is for me and my family. No, nobody else. You know, you know where to find me on the hours that you need me. And I make right. it very apparent for everybody. And I'm not trying to be rude, but again, my time is just valuable. And that's that's just where I stand on that. I love that. Very professional. Like I'm available this time. <laughs> if we can make yeah. it happen. Like I like that. I like the the rules. Yeah. You, you gotta. Yeah, you know, we'll be yeah. right here. I got you. I'll give yeah. you 110. percent But I'm yeah. only available this time. I'm sorry, but that's it. Like like I said, I, I probably turned down about 25 different interviews because they wanted to do it. You know, on the weekend while I'm wrestling, trying to make money for my family, or they want to do it at night when I'm trying to spend time with my family. And like, I, no offense, but my family is my number one priority uh before wrestling now so yeah uh, i hope everybody who asks for an interview or, or any part of my time just respects that yeah absolutely i think that's the way it should be but as we start to that. wind it down and, and head towards the finish here what's next wrestling wise though like what are you going to be doing where are you going to be is there any places you, you really want to work for sure uh well i definitely have a lot of cool things coming up I have uh, Blitzkrieg Pro coming up at the end of the month uh, against Evil Uno, AEW star Evil Uno, a guy I've wrestled with before uh, hundreds of times. So it'll be cool to mix it up with him. I got Expo Lucha at the ECW Arena in June. Uh, you know, everybody who's Lucha will be there. I got uh, Wrestling Revolver in Ohio coming up April 16th. Uh, I'll be at WrestleMania weekend in Dallas for WrestleCon, along with some other shows. I got a lot of things coming up. If you guys want to check www.luchalit.com, you can see all my appearances on there. Um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of things that I'm looking forward to. As far as companies I want to wrestle, man, I just want to wrestle everywhere. I want to show everybody that I, I can still do this better than anybody, that I love what I do. I, you'll always have a good time. You'll get your money's worth. Like, you know, I'm I'm always willing to give my heart and my body, you know, not only to my family, but to my fans as well. And, um, you know, maybe I'll make an impact somewhere or maybe I'll make my way to a major league uh, wrestling promotion. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> hey, both would sound good. Or, or even some place that's elite. That would be nice, too. I could see maybe, maybe. Yeah. I could see wrestling a couple uh, brothers over there. You know, I could see that. I, I just want to wrestle. I don't care if you're a brother or sister. I want to wrestle everybody in the world before I'm like, time to call it quits. Any dream matches, like specific guys, like, man, I want to wrestle that guy. It doesn't matter where he, where he is. He's like, is there a guy out there? You're like, oh, man, like, like oh, I want to wrestle him. You know, I just uh, I met my boy Bandito uh, this past weekend and oh, me yeah, and him clicked it off. Yeah, me and him clicked it off like. Before we didn't really talk wrestling, we just clicked it off. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, then we started talking wrestling. I was like, man, you're a cool dude. Like, we would probably kill it in the ring. Uh, but, you know, a match I would love to do, uh, I would really, really love to do. I don't care where it's at because I think the world would be interested in seeing it, um, especially if there's, like, a good story behind it. I would either love to wrestle Samurai or I would love to wrestle uh, Dorada in a one-on-one -on -one match. I think uh, I've wrestled both of them in a singles that – you know, you could probably watch me and Kalisto wrestle, but Dorada, me and him only wrestled one time in NXT at a live event that nobody will ever watch. And it was a lot of fun. And and even though we were tamed, like now being free, like I could just imagine what that match might be like. So, but other than that, I mean, I just want to wrestle everybody, like old friends, new friends, you know, people brand new, people who've been around forever. Like you're not going to get the same lens that you got 10 years ago, even six years ago before I got to WWE. 
you know, you're going to get the man version of me. And that's what I want to represent is remind people like I'm, I'm a man. I'm not just a luchador. I'm a man. I'm a grown ass man. And I have an agenda. Nice. Any good cards you've got lately? Any good uh, wrestling cards? I randomly got like, um, over the, over the last couple of years, I got honky. Uh Oh, yes. Let's see who I got. Let's see what we got here. Oh, yes. I grabbed some of these. So I went through, uh, I met some cool people through PSA and uh, SCG. And yeah. man, like I said, I just went on a, I just went on eBay and just was sniping people. So I got this Eddie right here. Awesome. Nice. Let me see. If I, yeah, there we go. Nice. Yep. Little 10. I also got the EE, I mean, sorry, EDDY Eddie LWO. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I also got this cool. I opened up some old school uh, WWF cards, and I found this uh, Macho yes. Man. Yes, I have those. those sticker. Are awesome. yeah. I love those. Now, uh, those old ones, the old WWF I just, ones. I need to get this one signed, so if you can help me out, bro. Oh, damn! That's a good one. And this one has the the signature on the back, like you get a slot for the signature. So I'm gonna try to get this bitch signed. Yeah, and, uh, right, yeah, put it in my collection. Nice. I got all my other cards. I got all my cards uh, graded as well. But you know, I'm not displaying them. Uh, I just want to yeah. display what I want to look at. And I got Pokemon cards up here. That's all I collect: Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, and wrestling cards. Nice. I got randomly like a honky disc like throughout the years, like Honky Tonk Brett and like Ronnie Garvin. But I wanted them all autographed, so I got them all autographed. But it's those oh, old school nice. WWF cards. Yeah, they're awesome. For some reason, the, the Garvin one just tickles me because like I can't believe he got his own card. Like he, he was never pushed there, but he got his own card. Hey, so, hey, that's that, that's what that's what makes it more rare then. You know, when yeah. especially and, those guys who don't get pushed and they get like merch, like really rare merch. Yeah. That's how that's how it's at. And my Barry Horowitz, I have autographed. Ooh, so I was like, nice. I was that's like, a good one. Yeah, just a, it's so random. It's like, I, and he's like, you know, I had two cards and he showed me, he actually had another one. I was like, damn, I was like, well, you got a couple of cards. That's awesome. But uh, I don't know. I, I think just I have like, collecting some of that stuff. Yeah, I think I, have like, stuff, I think I have 30 cards, but only like maybe 15 different types. Like, you know how they have variants. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, my favorite one out of all of mine is my, my rookie card, my legit rookie card. I think that's the coolest oh. one. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. I just love collecting the just like some of the random ones, like Garvin and Horowitz. Like, yeah. they got to be just, I mean, Brett obviously is a common guy, but just random guys. Like, I love Honky Talk, man. Maybe he's not as random as the other guys, but I just love just the randomness of it. The nostalgia, though. Yeah, but yeah, the, really cool. I like, I like the, the, the rare, like, I've been collecting some Japanese, uh, like, uh, FMW cards, like completely random. Like, I just want, I liked, yeah. I wanted a, a Pegasus Kid and a Chris Benoit and a Sabu. And uh, I found one, like all three of them in the same bundle for super cheap. And I was like, all right, boom, checklist. I'm done. I'm done with this. Like, I don't, I'm not even like a collector of all this, like the complete set. I just want what I want kind of thing. Yeah. Just a couple guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. But before I let you go, I know you mentioned Lucha Lit, but give us all the socials and everywhere we can find it plug wise. Yes, sir. So I'm on uh, Instagram, Lince underscore Dorado. Uh, on there, you can see all my social, my, my promotionals, uh, for shows coming up, any, any merch drops. Uh, if you want to see the real me, go visit me on Twitter, uh, Luchador LD. I'm a little bit more vulgar there, a little bit more, you know, me, uh, but most of my information, everything from my Twitch information, uh, or YouTube information will be on my website, www.luchalit.com. 
You could also check out uh, on there where I'll be performing. You could check out merch. You could check out some uh, new videos and some more information uh, dropping soon uh, in regards to like sponsorships. So yeah, everything is on there. Check it out. Everything awesome. Lucha. Good stuff. Fellow New Jersey boy. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for all yes, the time. No, man. Thank you very much. This is fun. This is better than my last uh, interview I just did. So don't tell him that, though. <laughs> nope. Difficult. Thank you so much. There we go. No, man. Thank you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.